Hello, my friends. Welcome to Pence Politics, Mr. Watson. I am most certainly your host, Christian Watson. It is good to be with you guys here today. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Pence Politics podcast. Whether you're watching us on our 32, 40 plus platforms that we're on Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, Google Podcasts. There are so numerous to, to mention. Or if you're watching us, on the one and only YouTube, because this show has a YouTube adaptation to it. It's found on the channel called Christian Watson. Uh, regardless of where you are watching us at or where you're listening to us at, thank you so much for being a loyal viewer to the Pensive Politics Podcast. You know, exciting things are happening, my friends. And before I get into the news today, because we'll cover a little bit news, we'll cover the impeachment nonsense. I, I told you, this impeachment stuff is absolute nonsense it begins from a false premise and, and gets and ultimately gets as laws logic dictate to a false conclusion this impeachment stuff is absolutely nonsense i'll explain why <clears throat> we're also going to analyze the sort of cultural backlash that the french uh, a lot of french intellectuals are giving towards a lot of quote-unquote woke ideas that are making their way across the atlantic <clears throat> The New York Times wrote a piece about this today, and I found it absolutely fascinating that this backlash, this cultural resistance is happening in a place that just had a socialist president before Macron. Macron's more of a centrist, um, you know, globally minded, culturally conservative president. But before Macron, they had Hollande, and Hollande was a a socialist president. (laughs) So it's just... Fascinating to see how these dynamics play out. And we'll also be discussing Lindsey Graham and the story of political inauthenticity. I was going to discuss that yesterday on yesterday's episode, but I got caught up in the TikTok drama. And I'll address a little bit of that today as well. Um, but yes, we'll talk about that and all more on this episode of Pens Politics and Mr. Watson. Okay, <clears throat> so the exciting news. So I have been doing my best to grow pensive politics ever since our one-year anniversary, our our first time starting in February. And yes, guys, there will be a special podcast with a special guest for our one-year anniversary um, uh, commemoration. There will be, I promise you. And it's going to be very exciting. It's coming up in a few weeks here. And when I first started Pensive Politics, I had no clue I would end up interviewing Two presidential candidates, three actually, a Nobel Peace Prize nominee, a New York Times bestselling author, a an acclaimed actor. I had no idea that I would end up getting plugged into so many of the places that I'm plugged into right now. I had no idea that I would begin cultivating and honing my research skills, my research gathering skills, my news gathering skills. I had no idea that I would be growing in front of every each and every one of you and using my knowledge of philosophy, my very limited knowledge of philosophy, to try to make sense of the world and the news within it. I had no idea I would be at the forefront of the fight for liberty and truth. I had no idea whatsoever. But alas, here we are. On February 20th, 2020, is when I began Pensive Politics with Mr. Watson. And that is simply that date is actually it's next it's next it's next it's next Saturday. It's next Saturday. Ridiculous, isn't it? It's next Saturday. 
And so we've grown, as I mentioned, so much. And when I first got behind the microphone and when I began doing it regularly, I had some confidence issues. I used to think, Mr. Watson, I mean, are you, are you, uh, do you sound good enough? Do you sound informative? Is your work cheaper? I used to say, okay, Christian, you know, there are a lot of guys who do philosophical commentary, but they're getting published in National Review and in uh, Aereo Magazine and all these places. Is what you do cheap, Mr. Watson? Is it cheaper? Is it a cheap imitation of what they're doing? Why don't you go ahead and write, Mr. Watson? I had a polit- an eminent political writer tell me in a Twitter direct message that, Christian, I'm sorry, but if you want to actually succeed, you need to write. Write articles. Now I have people telling me the exact opposite. <laughs> but, but there were so many things going towards destroying my ambition in this show. And yet I still stayed the course. I still stayed the course. And I must encourage you. I am a living witness, people. You must continue to stay the course. We must continue. to. I don't care what is happening in your life. We must continue to stay the course. I don't care if you go into a debate like I did the other day and you come out with your self-esteem trash, feeling terrible about yourself, feeling like a fraud. You must stay the course. I don't care if you have people who you thought you could trust, who, you know, have connections and have been where you want to be, telling you, no, you can't do it this way. No, you must stay the course. I don't care if you are your own worst enemy and you are estimating yourself at a lower level than when you should be. You must stay the course. You must stay the course because you have a gift. You have a uniqueness swirling up inside of you like a brilliant nexus of creative energy and creative fire that is just going to spew out one day. It's going to bless so many people. It's going to move so many people. It's going to invoke a sense of revelation in so many people and it's going to enrich their lives. It's going to enrich their understanding of the world. It's going to make them a better person and you will have been a better person before it. You must stay the course. And because I stayed the course, I am happy to announce to you today, on February 9th, 2021, Pensive Politics is now going to be integrated into the Bold TV media network. The Bold TV is a media company. Yes, an actual company that employs people, that pays people. I just signed the contract the other day. I can't say a lot. I can't tell you what, like, I obviously can't say a lot, but I have been given permission to announce that I will be a part of the Bold TV family. If you want more information about Bold TV, I will, it'll, it'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the description down below on all the platforms on Spotify, or podcast, YouTube, but I'll just read a little bit about Bold TV before we get into the news today, because we've got to get into the news because we are coming up on time very fast. Time is... St. Augustine wrote a very interesting um, essay on time. Time is such a fleeting thing, my lord. It, but yet it dictates almost everything. We need to look into that. But so on the about section of the Bull TV website, it says, Bull TV elevates diverse voices that are often avoided by the mainstream media and builds bridges through bipartisan content. We celebrate the entrepreneur and their hustle and highlight the importance of financial knowledge and empowerment. So... For Bold TV, they see my hustle, they see my entrepreneurial spirit, and they want to hone that, they want to help that. So 
the result of this, you will see a lot more interesting guests come in. You will see this show grow faster. You will see me get honed and better in all kind of ways as a presenter, as a commentator. You'll see me more on different mediums. This is going to be excellent, my friends. So you'll notice a Bold TV. I'm going to have some sort of integration between Bold TV and my podcast. Um, and you'll notice that. But I just want to thank you guys. I would have never gotten here through the support of my small um, fan base. But I would have never gotten here. And so what I need you guys to do for me today, if you listen to me on YouTube and only YouTube, thank you. That's, that's very important. That's the main place. But if you could just go ahead to Apple Podcasts or, um, or Spotify and leave a like, leave a rating, leave a review, especially if you have an iPhone. If you have an iPhone, please go over to Apple Podcasts and type in Pensive Politics into the search bar and just leave a rating and also leave a written review. The more you do that stuff, the more my brand grows, the more people can see just who Christian Watson is. I need that to be able to continue marketing this product, to be able to continue showing this product has buyers, it has listeners. So yes, we're, I'm I'm blessed to be a part of Bolt TV. I'm blessed to be a part of that operation, and I'm I'm blessed to have the opportunity to do things that I do. So, man, I just I'm thankful. I'm thankful. All right, guys. So we'll get into the news today. This impeachment stuff. So right now it's three forty-four where I'm recording this. Of course, you guys will be hearing this much later at seven p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But as of now, they are still going through. So the trial began, and they voted it at 1 o'clock on procedural stuff, and now they have people like Raskin of Maryland and the Goosen of Colorado going up and giving their case as the impeachment managers and the impeachment people. And one of the biggest stories out of this impeachment trial is that John Roberts refuses to preside. This is out of the Hill today. At, at, at 10.45 a.m. And, and the, the, the opinion out of the Hill today is that uh, John Roberts is paving the way for Trump to claim his trial is unconstitutional. And, he, and, and this piece, which is written by Mr. Gregory Mark, explains exactly how this process has played out. He writes, the Constitution calls for the Chief Justice to preside over an impeachment trial. By stepping aside, Roberts not only is failing to meet his duty, but his actions bring an air of illegitimacy to the trial. Impeachments are, dest are destined to bring the entire government together for a nonpartisan affair. Now, I would, <laughs> I, I would, I would contend with Mr. Mark, Mr. Uh, that that this is a nonpartisan affair. That's nonsense. This is absolutely a partisan affair. This impeachment scheme, all of it is partisan. It is driven by vain approbations and subjective possessions rather than it is driven by the desire to find the truth. Because we understand what the truth is about the riots. And we'll get to that in a moment. Continuing. Um, if Trump is convicted, he would be ineligible to hold federal office. Without the presence of the chief justice, and if there is a conviction, Trump can argue that the ruling un was unconstitutional because the rules, according to the Constitution, were not followed. For Roberts to recuse himself flies in the face of the past two and a half centuries of the evolution of the presidency itself because it allows someone who otherwise might be ineligible to become president to try again. As the nation's chief magistrate, Roberts is doing our public a disservice. So a lot of people are mad that Roberts stepped aside. 
But perhaps Robert stepping aside shows a lot of us, who may be laymen, or maybe may have a vague understanding of these issues, that even some people in the highest courts don't see the merit in this case. Now, it doesn't have to mean that. It, there are plenty of other possibilities. This is not some sort of dichotomous or even a singular situation. It's possible that Robert simply just didn't, had no interest in this particular matter. There are judges who recuse himself all the time. It's possible Robert saw himself as biased. It's very, because look, Trump has insulted Roberts multiple times. <laughs> like, Robert has been at the receiving end of a, attacks from a lot of political candidates for, and, and for good reasons, for his stark inconsistencies on several issues, uh, for his, his unwillingness to, 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 to live up to originalism in, on, on several issues. Uh, uh, so I understand why Roberts might recuse. I get it. There are, I, there are all kind of different... Like, for example, Roberts was entirely one of the reasons why Obamacare, which was fundamentally unconstitutional and fundamentally unethical and illegal and a violation of natural law, was allowed to continue forth reigning dominion over the healthcare, the creative energies of the healthcare workers of this country. Roberts saved it. And for that, he was the subject of much scorn. So perhaps, I don't know, man, perhaps Roberts just does not think he could be impartial enough. Because this does, because Trump has attacked Roberts. But then again, this could extend to every other chief, every other Supreme Court justice, justice as well. Every other one had been attacked by Trump, except, I think, Thomas and, and, and Alito. So maybe that's why. I don't know. But I do know one thing. Roberts or no Roberts, Roberts or no Roberts, this impeachment stuff is nothing short of an absolute dereliction of the proper duty of the United States Congress, which is to follow the truth and legislate virtuously, and that virtue always is going to, as Locke said, be in accordance with the laws of nature, which simply means those virtues will be protecting that which is in the laws of nature, and that is our natural rights. Congress is established to protect the rights of the individual to live, the rights of the individual to continue to exercise their liberty, and the rights of the individual to continue to vivaciously use their property in voluntary and non-coercive means. This is the denotative station of the government. And impeachment is a mechanism that arises from this science of justice, that arises from the science of natural law, that arises from this sense of duty and obligation, sort of deontological obligation, and emboldens it and accentuates it by deposing a chief executive who has run a thwart of this experiment. The problem is they're not trying to depose Trump because, A, they can't because he's already out of office, and, B, they're not trying to correct Trump running a thwart of the experiment of natural rights. They're trying to correct Trump for simply having been in office in the first place. We understand this. And look, this is not about Trump. You, people know Christian Watson. I do not sit here and de defend politicians because I want to get followers or whatever. I do not sit here and pretend to like politicians because I want to get followers. People know what I think about Donald Trump. There are things he's done that I think are correct, and there are things he has done that I think are absolutely foolish. And unfortunately, I think folks focus on the foolish things more than they do the correct things. This is no secret. 
If you've listened to Pensive Politics, you know this position of mine. If you've listened to my show, you know where I stand. I'm not an ideologue. I am not a sycophant of anyone. I'm a sycophant for the truth, baby. That's all I am. I'm a sycophant for the truth. But regardless of your position on Donald Trump, that is wholly immaterial to the very evident fact that the basis for this entire thing, the basis for the initiation of this process is illegitimate, and therefore the procession of this process is not legitimate either. Again, if the premise, I mentioned before, if the premise is tainted, as the laws of law dictate, if the premise is tainted, the conclusion also is going to be tainted as well. A good conclusion must follow its premises all through the syllogism. If the premise is tainted, the conclusion will most likely be tainted as well. We have to have clean, pure premises to get clean, good conclusions. And in the articles of impeachment that were filed, the claim is Donald Trump incited the riot. They, and they have not been able to pinpoint a single iota of evidence, a single excerpt, a single audio clip, a single tweet in which Donald Trump explicitly said, go out there and just break into the Capitol, go out there and kill an officer or kill two officers, go out there and stampede, go out there and hunt members of Congress, go out there and, and put Confederate flags all around the Capitol dome. Go out. He didn't say that stuff. Not, you can't find a single clip, a single tweet of Donald Trump saying anything like that. Not a single, not a single one. If you can, you reply to this video or this podcast. You send it to my email, officialcwatson.gmail.com. You show me. If you can find a single clip of Trump explicitly inciting a riot, then please, you need to tell me, show me, so that I can go and be on your side and support this thing. But until you can prove that, the basis on which this is established, the basis on which this manifests, the basis on which this process occurs is absolutely flawed, it is abysmal, it is a dereliction and, and uh, a, a, a dereliction and a irresponsible metric by which our Congress is operating. It's a dereliction of their proper duty, which I outlined in my earlier premise. A dereliction. And the idea that Mr. Mark was making in the Hill piece that impeachment is a nonpartisan process. Oh my God. Just because the Chief Justice presides over the, the proceeding does not make it nonpartisan. Why do you think they're going to be spending a few days defending why the impeachment trial is constitutional? Some of the greatest arguments against this impeachment stuff is that it's unconstitutional. Some of the, the most common arguments. And in my opinion, look, the Constitution is a wonderful document. It's a blessed document. It is a document that should guide our sentiments. It's a document that should inform how we conduct things, obviously. The Constitution is not infallible. The Constitution currently justifies one of the grandest acts of theft in modern history, taxation. The Constitution certainly currently justifies 
one of the most vilest violations of property rights known to man, eminent domain. Just because it's in the Constitution does not mean it's ethically correct. The Constitution once justified, or once was indifferent to, the notion of slavery. The Constitution was, well, at least in terms of statute. In terms of principle, it never was for slavery. But in terms of statute, it was just indifferent. The Constitution once justified prohibition, which is an imposition on my right to do what I want to do with my personal body and my personal time. We have to decide what is ethical from something other than a man-made document, something what the natural law theorists called positive law. We have to go beyond positive law, which simply that was established by man, and go towards first principles. The Constitution was built off of first principles. The problem is, sometimes society sways away from first principles. First principles is the natural law. That is what we base our understanding of what is right, what is wrong, what, what, what correct normative ethical action is. That's where it comes from, first principles. So I don't care if the impeachment trial is constitutional or not. It doesn't make it right. You can have a constitutional trial that is full of mistruth. The Constitution catches up to the truth. The Constitution is meant to be reflective of the truth. And in being reflective of something, sometimes you'll have refraction. Sometimes you'll have a reflection that is not entirely clear. So eventually, the reflection will catch up to itself. The Constitution is meant to catch up to the truth. It is not meant to be the established truth, because again, it is positive law. It is law made by men. So from a natural law standpoint, and from a standpoint of valuing epistemic humility, Donald Trump's involvement in the so-called riots, which a very small part of those quote-unquote protests were riots. Very small. There were like th like a lot of people. We don't have the exact numbers. There were a lot of people on the steps protesting peacefully and using their First Amendment right to assert their consciousness over a particular political issue. Then there were a very small minority. About 200 so far have been arrested that went to the Capitol and did bad things. The rest stayed outside and they had protests. And the president clearly said in his speech, I was watching it live, and you can go back and watch this yourself. He clearly said, go and protest peacefully. Peacefully demonstrate your beliefs peacefully. He was very clear. He was exponentially clear. People say, well, the energy, Christian, the tone he used. So if I, so if I can get blamed by inciting something through my energy and my tone, how do you quantify that standard? What's the right tone? What's the right energy? Aren't these things somewhat circumstantial? There is not a single absolute maximal principle that show, tells you how to set your tone or your energy. The natural law never addresses it. Even Christianity is not entirely clear on how to set your tone. It wants you to be kind, but you can be, you can be kind with a harsh tone, can't you? There's a lot of nuance to the situation, so this impeachment stuff, I'll be watching it, but just know, right now I'm not very convinced by anything they have to say. All right, guys, we'll be, be, we'll be back in a moment. If you, again, if you want to help us, subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, do whatever you can do to help us get this message out there, okay? I'll be back in a moment. Okay, one second.
All right, guys, welcome back. Welcome back from the break. Um, again, if you want to support this content, I, and I know I say this a lot, but I have to because again, everything has a cost. Whether that cost is a monetary cost or it's a cost of time and energy, everything has a cost, and it's always good to be get a return on your cost. It's always good to have the return equal or ha or exceed your cost because you make profit that way. As the classical economists understand. So if you guys could just do one thing, if you guys either either subscribe to us on YouTube, which is the channel is Christian Watson, that's channel name, we've reached one over a thousand subscribers, or if you could get us on Apple Podcasts, the the, the name is Pensapolitics, or Spotify, and if you could leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, or leave a rating on Spotify, or leave a comment or review on Apple Podcasts, all of that would help me tremendously. If you would be so esteemed, you could also donate to me, which is my PayPal is officialcwatson at gmail.com. You can donate to me, too, if you are able to. But if not, a review and a few sentences would be just fine. So thank, thank you so much. I appreciate, I appreciate your help and your support. So let's talk about this political inauthenticity stuff. And I have a problem. Look, I, I have a serious problem with politicians who represent themselves to be one thing, but are actually something else. In my opinion, those politicians are actually absolutely powerless. So Socrates says in the Gorgias, when he's talking to Polis, one of the rhetoricians, after he just beat up Gorgias for being a sophist, because I've been, I've been reading more dialogues and, and literature that has to do with sophists ever since my encounter a few days ago with the, with the TikTok debaters. Because I think to myself, how would Socrates have handled this stuff? Because Socrates dealt with sophists plenty of time. He, he dealt with people who manipulated the truth and or manipulated language to make the truth fit their presuppositions rather than actually chase the truth itself for how it is. Rather than embrace that sort of Heraclitean light of the truth idea that the Logos is surrounding us and the Logos is here with us. That is what, that is what uh, Socrates was interested in. He was interested in exposing that kind of stuff. So in the Gorgias, they actually address the problem of political power. Polis is like, well, no, hold on. Politicians and rhetoricians, they are loved. They are valued. Socrates says, no. No, they're not. They're absolutely not. They have no power. Power comes from doing what you want to do. From being who you want to be. From being that individual who you want to be. The power of politicians and rhetoricians, their power emerges. This is fascinating. Their power emerges solely from what they think is best for their career. What they think people want them to do. So that they'll forsake what is best for them. They'll forsake what is good for them. They'll forsake their individual considerations. And they'll sacrifice those, of course, for the considerations of the crowd. Socrates says that's a powerless person. Now, of course, look, if you know public choice economics and other kind of modern day theories which explore this issue, politicians operate in their own self-interest. That's clear. Socrates didn't have that information at his disposal. But the point is this. If you are living solely in relation to someone else and you are doing what you think they want you to do, 
rather than following the light of your own consciousness, you have no power. Most politicians these days have no power. And if most politicians have no power, Lindsey Graham is the height of powerlessness. This article from Business Insider. Senator Lindsey Graham says Trump will get his share of blame in history for the Capitol riot. Senator Lindsey Graham said on Sunday that Trump will be remembered for the Capitol riot. This is Lindsey Graham. January the 6th was a very bad day for America. I agree with that. And he'll get his share of blame in history. Okay, I don't agree with that one. Senator Lindsey Graham, one of Donald Trump's staunchest allies, said Sunday that the Capitol riot will be a defining part of the former president's legacy. Trump is the most popular figure in the Republican Party and had a consequential presidency. Graham, a Republican from South Carolina, said on CBS Face the Nation Sunday, January the 6th was a very bad day for America, and he'll get his share of fair blame in history. So, again, this comment's not about Donald Trump. As I mentioned to you guys before, Christian Watson is not an ideologue. Christian Watson is not someone who does things for clicks. Christian Watson is not a sycophant. Christian Watson is simply Christian Watson, the aspiring intellectual. Christian Watson, the seeker of truth. That's who I am. So if I have a a thought about a political entity, I'll tell you. When Lindsey Graham spends four years biting at the chomp to defend Donald Trump at every single term, and then when it appears to be less politically advantageous for him to keep going on with Donald Trump after he's been deposed from office, he changes his tune. Lindsey Graham is the living, walking example of political inauthenticity. Lindsey Graham is the living, walking example of what a pandora looks like. Lindsey Graham is the living, walking example of why party politics has so diluted the quality of politicians that we get in this country. Lindsey Graham is the example of as to why democracy does not work. Lindsey Graham, (laughs) I'm being hyperbolic, but still, when you have a democracy and not a meritocracy, People conflate dispersion. People conflate mass. People conflate access to freedom. People think just because a lot more people have access to the system, the system must be more equitable and more free. That is the language democracy is coded in by many of the intelligentsia. But this is obviously a logical error. It, the, the, the conclusion does not follow the premises. You don't necessarily have to have more freedom or you, ne- you don't necessarily get more freedom from having more access. In fact, the more access you have, the more desires the system is driven by and the less potential for freedom to germinate there is. The more access you have, the more fickle the foundations of the decisions that are made politically are. And the less resolute our determination towards freedom and liberty are. The more access you have, the more possibilities you have for things to go wrong. Lindsey Graham is embodying that Socratic warning. 
that when you exist in relation for other people, you can't pursue your own good. It's obvious Lindsey Graham never liked Trump. He liked what Trump could do for him. Lindsey Graham liked what Trump could get him. Lindsey Graham never liked Trump. You guys don't remember the comments that Lindsey Graham made before the election, right? You, you, don't, you don't remember, before the 2016 election. You remember, Lindsey Graham was entirely against Trump. He thought Trump was a nut job. In 2016, BuzzFeed News reported this. Lindsey Graham in 2016, Trump is a kook. This is Lindsey Graham. February 17th. 2016, South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham on Donald Trump. I'm not going to try to get into the mind of Donald Trump because I don't think there's a whole lot of space there. I think he's a kook. I think he's crazy. I think he's unfit for office. These are not vague sentiments that are open-ended. These are resolute statements of apparently statements of what Lindsey Graham believed to be fact about a particular candidate. So how do you go from being convicted that a particular candidate is a nut job, then all of a sudden being being essentially in his corner for four years, then going back, going back to the echoes of the past? Lindsey Graham is being devoted to the echoes of the past. Lindsey Graham cares about whatever can get him the most gas, the most energy politically. That's all he cares about. But it's not just Lindsey Graham, though. Most politicians are like this. Because our system of party politics has set it up in the way, has set this mentality up in a way where it is rewarded by lobbying. It is rewarded by, by um, promotions within the caucus. It is rewarded by uh, committee assignments. It is rewarded by loyalty is rewarded with all kinds of spoils, material spoils. But like with all material spoils, it actually misses the point. It actually dilute what is meant to be. And what is meant to be is a political machinery, a strong political machinery that is dedicated 100% to protecting rights, 100% to these principles not dedicated to service of any one individual, not dedicated to service to any one political figure, not dedicated to service to any one of lobbyists, not dedicated to service to any one of these people. But when politicians suppress who they are to please an image of, pe of who people think they are, they get into trouble. And they behave inauthentically. Lindsey Graham, man. This is why I say stay pensive at the end of every broadcast, guys. I say stay pensive for a reason. I'm not saying that if you criticize, if you change your positions, if you change your mind, you're you're inauthentic. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you change your mind enough, you either don't know who you are, or you're trying to hide who you are. If you change your mind enough. Especially if you changing your mind is not on the basis of any new information, but it's on the basis of, of a sort of new opportunities, you either don't know who you are or you're trying to hide who you are. In either case, you don't have any business being in the halls of Congress. Intellectuals look at information and they revise their thoughts upon the induction of new information. That's fine. Lindsey Graham knew everything he needed to know about Trump before any of this stuff happened. He had both narratives 
the right-leaning leaning narrative and the right and left-leaning narrative. He had no new information. So then what the hell is Lindsey Graham changing his opinion off of? Maybe the riots, Christian. Well, if Lindsey Graham buys into the lie that Donald Trump started the riots, then maybe his problem not is only in, his problem's not only in authenticity, his problem is a lack of intellectual rigor. Lindsey Graham magnifies almost every single problem that we see today in our political reality. Watch out for that, my friends. You need to avoid that. Never supplant your own desires to please a crowd. I don't care if you go into public service eventually. The best thing for you to do is to follow the truth, follow the principles of, follow the natural law, follow ethics. If the crowd says, Christian, we want you to ban weed or we want you to ban alcohol, say, no, I'm not going to do that. I follow ethics. Christian, we want you to go up there and ban guns. Nope, I'm not going to do that. I follow moral principles. Christian, want me to go up there? I don't care what you want, lady or man or sir or whatever. I'm not going to do it. I have dictates from the heavenly realm. I have dictates from the abstract realm. I have dictates from the natural law as to what to do. If you don't like that, go kick rocks. You don't like that? Get me a, a, a primary me or whatever. You have to have you have to be willing to lose something, my friends, to get ahead. You have to be willing to lose something. Expediency can be like opium. It can feel real good in, in the short while, but if you take too much of it, it'll overload you and shut everything you're trying to build up down. It'll drown you out. It'll 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 taint your perception of reality. So, Lindsey Graham needs to stop taking the opium of many politicians, which is expediency, and start being convicted. Although I'm not hopeful that he will do that. But speaking of convictions and being convicted, there is a contingent of individuals in France, in France, who are fighting against the sort of woke culture. Seriously. There are plenty, there are a contingent of individuals in France who are fighting against wokeism, who are fighting against social justice stuff, who are fighting against the importation of these ideas from, from America across the Atlantic to into France. Now, hold on. This is the country that is the home to Marquis they said. This is the country that is the home of Jean-Jacques Rousseau whose ideas essentially animate modern-day progressivism, whose ideas of a collective social contract and a sovereign and the absorption of the individual into the state and the absorption of the individual into the community, the forceful absorption and the sort of destruction of individuality and the construction to like a civil man or a communal man. Rousseau is one of the most violent intellectuals of the past 200, 300 years. A country that produced Marquis de Sade. His last name is where we get the word sadism from. That should tell you everything you need to know about him. He wrote a book called 120 Days of Sodom. 
in which he depicts violent, guttural erotica of all kind of perverse sexual acts taking place in very unnatural ways with, 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 with people getting killed during the sexual acts, dead people having sex, all kind of crazy stuff. He wrote them on scrolls while he was in prison and they got published eventually. I think after his death. But it's also a country that gave birth to Montesquieu, but who himself had very collective ideas of the individual. Voltaire, who was a very strong exponent of freedom of consciousness. But it's also a country who gave birth to Raspierre, a country that gave birth to the French Revolution, which didn't really have the kind of moral values that the American Revolution had guiding it. This country is now saying this revolutionary ideology Let's forget it. Or at least certain prominent folks in France are saying that. So let's, this article comes out of the New York Times, but I'm reading a excerpt, a, a confined excerpt from that in IWF, in the independentwomensforum.org. This article is published today by Charlotte Hayes. It goes, American intellectuals may be hoping, hopping on the woke bandwagon rushing to put up Black Lives Matter signs and hate doesn't live here signs. Refreshingly, and perhaps surprisingly, prominent French intellectuals are pushing back against the woke ideas emanating from American campuses. A New York Times story describes this phenomenon. This is from the story. The threat is said to be existential. It fuels secessionism, gnaws at national unity, abets Islamism, attacks France's intellectual and cultural heritage. The threat? Certain social science theories entirely imported from the United States, said President Emmanuel Macron. So the threat to French civilization, according to Emmanuel Macron, is sociologist theories coming from America. The article continues. French politicians... High-profile intellectuals and journalists are warning that progressive American ideas, specifically on race, gender, and post-colonialism, are undermining their society. There is a battle to wage against an intellectual matrix from American universities, warned Mr. Macron's education minister. Isn't that fascinating? Emboldened by these comments... Prominent intellectuals have banded together against what they regard as contamination by an out-of-control woke leftism on American American campuses and its attendant cancel culture. This piece goes on to say, Despite the hysterical tone of the New York Times' piece, it is a good thing that the French, who have always taken pride in their cultural heritage, are debating the influence of ideas that they see as coming from, the, from American campuses. Unfortunately, some of right some right of center political leaders want a parliamentary investigation of the effects of the intellectual revolution in the U.S. supposedly is importing to France. Now, of course, she's correct. If you believe in freedom of speech, that is never a solution. So, right in France, they are trying to mobilize the machinery of the state to fight these ideas. First of all, what is the state? The state is simply the sum mass of force. And to put it very simply, government is guns, as Rose Woodrow Lane would say. Government is guns. The state is guns. The state is force. The state is basically that the only thing that it has that legitimizes it is force. And, well, okay, that 
maintains its power. The consent of the government should legitimize it, but force is the main mechanism by which it contains its power. So they want to use force to beat ideas. We understand that going to war on ideas with force never works. Whether it's the classical example of the war on terror, whether it's the war on drugs, whether whatever. When you go to war against ideas, even if those ideas have material, physical uh, manifestations, um, you don't tend to do very good. Now, if those ideas are more so ideas that emerge from material circumstances um, and emerge, like, for example, Antifa. Antifa is not an idea. Antifa is a movement. Right. It, the movement has ideas, but it's obvious that Antifa is a movement and to have a movement, you have to have people or things that can move, that can affect things. Right. Some concepts are not necessarily uh, required to have a material counterpart that is active. Some concepts are passive. So to the extent that Antifa is an idea, it's a very active idea that we can easily measure and quantify. Terror? We can't quantify that. I can get terror from getting up in my bed and seeing a spider on the wall. Of course, you mean terror in the context of terrorists, Christian. Well, anyone can be a terrorist if they try hard enough. You can't go to war against that. It's very amorphous. So, my point is this. I'm happy the French intellectual class are doing something that the American intellectual class don't want to do. They're actually recognizing the threat of these ideas. But in the process of recognizing the threat of these ideas, they are going to be embracing an anti-free expression mentality. I don't support that. I don't support that. I think free expression is essential to being able to demonstrate through reason why wokeism, why social justice ideology, why all this crap is nothing more than unmitigated nonsense, nothing more than linguistic word soup built together to make certain things appear more evident or more closer than they actually are. To make oppression and victimhood seem more closer than it actually is. So no, I don't have any patience for people who want to commit thought control on any side of the political aisle. I have no patience whatsoever. I don't care if the French want to preserve their culture, great for them. But uh, there is not a single culture that was ever preserved effectively by force. Almost every culture that has lived by the sword has died by the sword. Sparta is a good example. Rome is a good example. The, the great empires of the world are a good example. You don't, you don't save culture. You don't preserve culture by force. You live by the sword. You absolutely die by the sword. That old adage, that old cliched adage is 100% true. America had more than just the sword. The sword was the means to get America to where it is right now. America had ideas that are endemic to our human nature, that are, that are endemic to the natural world, that came out of that beautiful intellectual revolution in the 16th and 17th century, and in the, in the other centuries that succeeded that century, and that preceded that century. America had moral grounding that was grounded in principles that don't necessitate war, that don't necessitate violence, that don't necessitate all kind of other things that destroy humans' abilities to create that and stifle our energies, that stifle our ability to adhere to our duties. But France wants to pick up the sword and strike. The sword will not win this fight. So, yes, let us recognize the threat that critical race theory poses 
and let's root it out of our institutions. Let's root it out of our thoughts. Let's root it out of our social conduct. But let's not impose the same kind of mentality they want to impose upon us that would violate the principles of free expression and of free speech and everything just to say we've done something or just to claim a Fox victory. Because at the best, that would be that would be a Pyrrhic victory. And the losses just wouldn't be numbers. The losses would be our understanding of the truth and ultimately our souls. Think about it. As always, my friends, if you enjoyed the production, please subscribe, like, comment, and share. But I must say, guys, we're doing good. I love you for your support. And please stay pensive. Bye-bye. I love you. Bye-bye.